Welcome to a Longer Table podcast, a space for real and sometimes hard conversations that will often challenge your perspective and always empower you to pull up more seats around your own table. I'm your host, Amanda Carpenter. Let's dive in. Today's guest, we have Mary Morantz on the podcast. Mary grew up in a trailer in rural West Virginia. Um, she was the first in her immediate family to go to college. And not only did she go to college, she went on to earn a master's degree in moral philosophy, which makes me have so many questions, then a law degree from Yale. She um, has an interesting career path, similar to myself. She's turned down some big offers and then ended up starting a business with her husband, which is really cool. Also leads me to have a ton of questions. And now they do a lot of stuff together, but she's also the best-selling author of a book called Dirt. And we're not going to talk a ton about Dirt today. That's her memoir, but you can check that out. We'll link it in our show notes. What we are going to talk about is her new book that I have begun to read. I posted about this in my stories the other day. You might have seen it. Um, It's called Slow Growth Equals Strong Roots. I'm going to say that again. Slow growth equals strong roots. Mary, welcome to a Longer Table podcast. Oh my gosh. Already. I'm like so excited for this conversation. That was so (laughs) intriguing. I'm like, Ooh, I want to hear more about this. Um, Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited for this conversation. First in in a half, we're doing me on your show. And then later this year, you on my show. So I'm just, I'm so excited to get to hang out. I know. I can't wait. It's fun talking to someone else who does podcasting because I, you know, Sometimes I think to myself, do people have any idea what all goes into this? It is so much more than just sitting down and pressing record. My goodness. Um, Thanks for your time, Mary. Uh, Let's dive right in. You say this book, Slow Growth Equals Strong Roots. You say it's for the woman who is always performing. Mm, Oof. Um, I know you know a thing or two about that. I know a thing or two about that. Can you describe that woman who's always performing? Yeah. You know, what's really interesting, Amanda, is that if you, if you actually look in the book, which you have, and if, if you get it later, if you're listening to this, you'll see this in the book, I actually use this phrase, the most put together woman in the room. Mm. And that was my original avatar for this book. Um, this overachiever, this most put together woman in the room. And then after I had handed off the manuscript and we were done with that, and I started having conversations with some of my friends and then eventually people on the launch team, people in you know my uh, DMs and Instagram, whatever, what I came to realize is that in this really ironic twist of fate sort of way, exactly who this book is for is for the woman who it turns out is so relentlessly hard on herself that she doesn't even feel okay calling herself an overachiever. She's like, I achieve for my worth. I perform for my worth, but I don't know if I've done enough to even think of myself as an overachiever. Mm. Or she would never fathom calling herself the most put together woman in the room. And that's the point. And I talk about that in the book. She never feels that way. She would never, ever think of herself that way, but she stumbles into that position in other people's eyes because she has run so hard from failure from a muddy story, from fearing that she won't be able to get out of where she came from, that she's doing that because she thinks that's the bare minimum standard it takes just to be acceptable in these rooms, to not have people see right through me the second I walk in. Mm. And in doing that, everybody else looks at her as like untouchable and too perfect and too put together and too accomplished. And she becomes in this really, the, the heartbreaking part is in an effort to become acceptable, she ends up holding people at arm's length 
It's the last thing that she wanted. And so now it can start to feel like a really lonely journey as well. But so this book, you know, the woman who's always performing what you just, that reaction, as soon as we switch to that, people are like, oh, now I get it. Mm. Even if I didn't feel the most put together or would qualify as an overachiever, I know what it is to constantly feel like I have to show up and deliver or put on the mask or keep up this act or hold it all together or hide in plain sight, not take up too much space in order to be loved. And so that's really who it's for. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me so much of, and I know a lot of my listeners will know this, like I started a hashtag on Instagram. Gosh, it had to be like 2017 called impressing is exhausting. And I feel like that's so similar to what you're saying here, that at the end of performing and trying to like uh, prove something or, or whatever it is, that we're exhausted. And it's, so it's for for those people. And I don't think it's just Enneagram 3s. I'm just going to go there for a minute, right? Because everyone thinks of achievers as Enneagram 3s. And I get really frustrated. I was even challenged recently by someone, which challenge an Enneagram 8, watch out. Um, but I was challenged by someone. They were like, I really think you're an Enneagram 3. And I found this to be really funny because one, we shouldn't try to type other people because the Enneagram is not about what you see externally. It's about internal motivations, uh, what's behind the thing that we're doing saying whatever. And so for me, it's definitely control, which is an eight, not the um, need to prove something to be worthy or, or whatever, which is more a three. So I know that your book will probably resonate with a lot of Enneagram threes, but as an eight, as someone who does like to do a lot of things and does like to achieve, if I'm really honest, this book is just as much for someone like me. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is for a long time, I thought I was an Enneagram three and then somebody uh, on my show said, look up, it was Ian Morgan Cron. We were talking about the road back to you. He said, look up uh, the self-preserving four. And as soon as I did that, it just like all locked in. It made sense because I am very much the deep emotions. The mm. I, I like the bittersweet. I like to listen to a song to make me cry. I like authenticity and excellence and originality. But the self-preserving four, if you didn't grow up with a lot or you had a hard thing in your story, you try to find your way to safety and self-preservation through achieving, through getting a beautiful life. And as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. But I can tell you, we've already got threes, fours, and eights covered. So, And I know yeah. the ones and the twos. I mean, truly, it is for anybody who just feels like, you know what? Um, I don't, I'm tired of being told it has to happen overnight. I'm tired of being told I'm only as good as the latest good thing I've done. Mm. Is there, is there a different way? Yeah. You have this quote in your book I've underlined. I'm going to read it and then I want to talk about it. You say, the minute we decide to give up all this achieving for our worth, an inevitable silence settles in. A vacuum in the shape of a black hole immediately sucks all the air out of the room. This very same place where the once overstuffed, overscheduled, overmanaged life mockery of our own making used to reside. Now in the midst of the darkness settled in, it is the absence of something that does all the shouting. Put simply, now what? What does this have to do, Mary, with the concept of good work and purpose? I, I, I want, like, everything you're saying really resonates. I guess one of my biggest questions for you is like, how do I change it? And and maybe that's not the goal, but like, how do I become okay with slow growth? And what does that actually even look like? I would love to know if there's been significant shifts in your life that you can 
you know, touch on that. Yeah. Well, first of all, I love that you picked that quote. That's one of my favorite quotes because it really gets to the heart of a major problem that happens for people like you. It sounds like for people like me, for, I bet most people listening at home, which is like when people are just like, Oh, just don't, don't worry about all that comparison stuff. Just, just slow down, just rest. And you're like, okay. And then what? Because there are those of us who are just wired with a natural drive, with a natural ambition and natural productivity. And what we want to hear, like I always, I made this joke that like, we are kind of the Ricky Bobby of our own lives. Like when we're told to just slow down and rest, we're like, that's fine, but we don't know what to do with our hands. And, um, you know, in the book, I kind of make this comparison to like a Samoyed dog that's like created to pull and pull and, you know, plow forever forward. And if you don't give that animal work to do, it will rip the house down to the studs with our productive energy. And so it's like, (laughs) what do we do? Fine, fine. Okay, great. I'm going to get my identity. I'm going to let go of, you know, all of this achieving. And then I'm hoping I've got about half my, you know, you know, another, doubling of my life left, right? I'm going to be 42 in May. So I'm hoping I've got another 42 in me. Who knows? We don't know. But if I do that now, what am I going to do for the next four decades of my life? Will my time here matter? Will my life matter? Can I go do good work with excellence and purpose separate from all of this? And so with the question you're asking there at the end is the same question, honestly, Amanda, I was asking myself when I set out to write this book, because in many ways, slow growth equals strong roots and dirt are kind of like these fraternal twin sisters. They, mm-hmm. they very much go together. They're bookends of one big journey. So, you know, I thought I was done in dirt with let's go make peace with this muddy story you think has disqualified you and you've been hiding your entire life. <clears throat> let's choose empathy and forgiveness and redemption. And you get to the end of dirt and there's this passage that I actually used to kick off slow growth equals strong roots, which is a really fascinating, like talk about book ending. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, it's like two paragraphs. So I'm just going to read that really quickly because I think it really informs this answer. And so it says at a certain point, you stop running breathless and at last exhausted. You double over at the pain of a lifetime spent proving you've run so hard for so long You've gone so far out into the world only to keep finding yourself back at the beginning. You have spent a lifetime starting over, breaking loose to run free, only to be taken captive again and again. This one truth, always dragging, always clawing at your heels like the heavy chains you never asked to bear. No matter how hard you run, you can't outrun you. So you crawl there for a while, panting through the pain, and then you curl up in surrender and rest your face on the cool, hard ground, death to this old life you once knew a morning of what was lost before the thrill of hope takes flight, a dying of self to become a new thing, this time one with both roots and wings, God set me free of me. And so that inciting incident is we are at last exhausted. We have tried and we have run and we have done all the things and acquired all the things and accumulated all the things. And so I was asking myself that same question. I'm going to be 40, you know, I'm right. I'm 40 when I'm writing it. I'm going to be 42 when it comes out. I have lived my entire life achieving for worth, gold starring for worth, A plusing for worth, getting into the good schools, whatever the case may be. Can you even, is it possible to give up achieving for your worth? Can you even like unwire your brain at this point? And the answer I believe is uh, on the other side of this book is a hundred percent yes. But one thing I say in the book is we do not give up achieving for our worth once and then we're done. Like anything we have become addicted to, it's one day at a time over and over. So 
I'm going to let, maybe I'll let you like kind of tag back in. Cause that was already such a long answer, but yeah. I think there is a process for that. Yeah, no, I I love that. It resonates. And I think, you know, if I just to be in real time, super vulnerable, like I was just on the phone with a friend the other day and I was upset. Um, I shouldn't say I was upset, but a lot of tears were coming up for me because I feel like and maybe this will resonate in some way. I don't feel like I've tried to earn my worth or prove my worth. A lot of what I do when I'm achieving or what appears to be achievements from the outside um for me, that isn't the motivation, but what you said kind of resonated of just like, this is like a hardwiring in me of like, I want to do these things. So then when I'm in a season, like I'm in right now where I have, um, we have our one-year-old son, we've had a lot of childcare struggles here in LA. I'm navigating, I'm on this contract in LA that's outside of my work. It's still part of my business, but it's very much like outside. So I'm here, I'm juggling like 40 hours a week for them, dabbling a little bit in my business and podcast and book writing, which uh, kind of feels like I'm giving it leftover scraps. That's not very fun. And then I half the time I'm also a stay-at-home mom with our son right now, which isn't ideal for for me as a person, but also for the scenario with work and multitasking. And what I was sharing with my friend was just like, man, it would be so nice to just be like, you know what? I surrender. I'm just going to embrace this season. And I told her, because I'm sure like many people listening, it's like, well, why don't you just do that? And it's like, I tried. I tried, Mary. I tried to shelve my creativity, my passion, all these things to say, I surrender. I am just going to keep the small human alive and love him and play with him and find joy in that. And guess what? There have been a lot of elements to that 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 have come to fruition. So it's so it's been good. But man, it is not about proving my worth. I just I know that God has made me to do certain things and I'm excited to do them and I want to do them and so it's frustrating when you're in a season where you can't. And the thing for me, the lesson for me has just been trusting that there is actual um, growth and things being produced in me in this season beyond what I can see or feel right now. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I just want to give a little context to myself in real time as it may relate to anybody listening. Yeah. 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 Here's what I would add to that. Maybe this might actually be like what you just said, but like, 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 like turning the prism from a different angle. So kind of like bouncing back to like, how do we start to do this? And this is where I think it might resonate with what you just said. The first time I ever started to wrap my head around what needed to happen for me in terms of this, you know, being it being tangled up with my worth, my coach, Kim, I talk about this in dirt. She was here at our house in Connecticut. We do an annual like goal review, goal setting retreat. We look back on the year and we look forward a year. And um, she had done this thing where she writes my name at the top and then we list out all these big, hairy, audacious goals for the upcoming year. And so they're written in these like little bubbles all around my name. And um, we had also just talked about all the good things that had happened in the year before. And I said, I'm the unhappiest I've ever been. I started crying and she said, you know, like, well, what do we have to do to fix that? And I was like, I don't know. And so she said, okay, do this. And she like pounds on the, the paper on the whiteboard on my Island. And she said, who is Mary? 
apart from all of these goals? Like who is Mary? If you strip all of this away, if you didn't accomplish any of this next year, if you hadn't accomplished any of this in the last year, like who is Mary? And I knew what she wanted me to say. I knew she wanted me to say like a child of God loved and you know, all these things. And instead what I like this, like visceral animal thing happened. I did not expect. And I was like, nothing, (laughs) you know? And then there was sort of this like, Ooh, like big eyes kind of moment. And the reason I think it might resonate to something that you're saying is because when we are created and we know we have gifts in us and we know we have purpose and we know that we were made for more than this. And we know that there's just something that God is calling us to. We get these little like glimpses. I feel like God, I saw this, like, this is so random, but I saw Steve Harvey talk about this, these like coming attractions in your life. And then you're like, ah, why am I not there yet? And I think there is this, like, there's a part in slow growth where I talk about it can, when it, when growing slow is the worst, it's like a freight train of pent up energy wanting to burst forth from your chest. It's like having a sinus infection with Sudafed and Kleenex about to burst out of your forehead. And then you get on a plane, then you add cabin pressure, right? You, you know yep. what you yep. want to do. And when it's not happening, either as fast as you want, or there are restrictions on your timeline or whatever the case is, you just feel like this time is fleeting. I only have a certain amount of time to matter here and everything feels urgent. And so I feel like some of what you were describing is just this frustration of what you know you were created to do and being in a season when it's not moving as fast as you want it to. That's a beautiful, concise way of putting it. Yeah, no, totally. I... And maybe this is the next kind of place to go with it is I know that you talk about the different postures of what's next versus what's right now. Yeah. Um, I'd love for you to speak to that a little bit. Yeah. So, okay. Um, What's next is actually a workshop and then eventually a bus tour that my husband, Justin, and I had. And so it started with me just like blogging in our photography business every December. I have a real hard um, relationship with Decembers because for the last, I don't know how many Decembers, all I can do is get to the end of this year and say, oh, why didn't you do more? And so I started this practice of blogging what worked and what didn't and what's next. And then we turned it into a what's next workshop. And eventually we we legitimately had like a country singer <laughs> level tour bus with our faces giant on the side. And our bus driver had actually been the bus driver for Bono. So, I mean, it was like, oh, that's amazing. And we slept on it and we went cross country and we had like a, a little crew of us and it was called the what's next tour. And so it talks about in the book, how I have always been a what's next kind of girl. And there's a country song from Eric church that says a little, mm, a little less left, a little more what's right now or something like that. A little a little more, I don't know. It's something about right now. And so I talk about like how a little less what's next, a little more right now. Maybe that's what it is. Um, anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, but like I say, I love that song and I hate that song because I've always been so quick to say, let's move on. What's next? Next thing. Like window of celebration gets shorter and shorter with everything accomplished. And in that section in particular, I compare what's next to Veruca Salt from Willy Wonka. And she's tapping her little foot and her little red, you know, pinafore dress. And she's kicking over all the boxes and wanting all the sweet things for herself, wanting all the pretty packaged gifts for herself. You know, I want it all and I want it now. And I want to lock it away safe in my pocket away from the rest of the world. I want it. I want it all. And I don't want anybody else to be able to take it from me again. And this says this, you know, this exercise in scarcity sort of a meeting and exercise and gluttony, you know, we want it just to protect it. And the opposite of that, where I'm trying to move into is this picture. If that's the picture of what's next, 
what's right now is the clay in the father's hands. It's being shaped and molded and remolded and refined uh, into this version of me. I was always meant to be. And, and I see as it goes along that it takes the shape of a pitcher, like a, a water pitcher, this ability to be a vessel that can be filled up over and over again, trusting in the abundance and the overflow operating out of the overflow instead of that scarcity and being shaped into something that can be poured out for others and of service and of use. And there's my favorite line in that section says, if you think about it, here's this God who has infinite now power, this ability to have 10 universes spinning at the end of every one of his fingertips, this phenomenal cosmic power in this itty bitty living space called earth, this God who has infinite now power somehow fell in love with how with this process over time. He could spend all this time with these galaxies, but instead he spends time with me making me just a little bit less selfish. Mm. So that's, that's part of the process. It's, you know, if you go back to that conversation with Kim, it's starting to understand if I couldn't walk into a room and introduce myself as anything that I do, what would I want people to be drawn to about me? That is just part of who I am. You know, and if I can't go have all the sweet things and accumulate and, and be gluttonous for more, 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 um, what does it look like for me to actually just sit with people and pour out? There's a part in dirt real quick. I'll tell you about that draws back this, you know, this, there's a lot of winks and nods in um, slow growth that go back to dirt. And so in dirt, I talk about how, you know, they always say like, you're walking around with a hole in your heart, but I, that never resonated with me. For me, it was more like a root canal, the size of a chest wound right through the middle of my torso. I'm Goldie Hawn and death becomes her, uh, where guts and backbone should be. You can just see right through me. And when the air in the room changes, just right. Every raw nerve ending goes screaming on display. And so I've tried to backfill landfill that hole in my body with gold stars and brand name labels and accumulating and acquiring and check marks and highlight reels. And I started to treat God like a Pez dispenser, this doling out the sugary sweet highs that seemed to numb, but never satisfy this manna of more. Never mind that I was becoming completely anemic in my faith in the process. Just don't, you know, keep the hits coming, God. And so it turned out that what I needed in my life was an extraction, not a filling. So there's like this theme of you know, candy representing this wanting all the things, wanting all the things and never being enough. Yeah, that definitely lands with me. Uh, Makes a lot of sense. I also love that you use candy as the analogy here. Um, I would love if you're willing to share, you have this question or you say it's like the number one question to ask yourself to know if you're leaning into freedom or striving. Because I think there's a lot of people listening um, to, or myself in different seasons, where I would say, man, I'm I'm doing so much better. Like, I am not striving. I feel very surrendered. I'm at peace. I am living free. What's that question that sort of serves as a litmus test for whether or not we're leaning into freedom or we're striving? Yeah. Oh man. I actually, Justin and I, my husband, were having a conversation this morning where I actually walked myself through this process of like, are we doing this because it's actually like a God thing? Or are we doing this? Cause I'm like, you know, I want to be somewhere faster than I am. And so I'll tell a little real quick backstory. So Justin and I, so I, okay, here's the kind of timeline. I go to law school at Yale. I don't even know if we've said that part. Um, I go to law school at Yale, grew up in a trailer, go to law school at Yale, decide not to do that, start a photography business with my husband, Justin, which we ran for 15 years. But 
in that first year, we go to our first photography conference in Los Angeles. Uh, it's called the Pictage Partner Con. And three days of sitting in like fluorescent ballrooms, we're like, we need to go drive through the desert before we head back home. We need to like process all of this. And so we rented a car and we decided to drive to the Grand Canyon. And on the way there, we stopped off at Lake Mead just to kind of stretch our legs. You know, it's this big blue green man-made lake um, in the middle of this of the desert, this oasis in the middle of, you know, dry scorched land. And we're walking down to the lake. And at one point the walkway gives way to floating dock. And so you're actually like on uneven ground and suddenly the water is alive and churning at your feet with the fish hatchery they have there. And it's all these like gray gulping fish, these like, uh, I don't know what they were, if they were carp or whatever they were, uh, but they're just like screaming at you in silence to give them the crumbs. And they're like flopping all over each other, pushing the other one down to fight it out for just a little tiny piece of the crumbs. And we said to ourselves, you know, it's so interesting that they're here, these wild things in captivity, battling it out with one another for the taste of the crumbs. When, if they turn around, there's this great expanse of freedom behind them, what they were actually created for. And oh, this is for somebody listening. We do this thing where we get signed up for races we never intended to join and we feel forever in last place. We don't know, feel like we can ever drop out of that race. But as soon as we stop and turn around, we're in first place position for what God has for us. Mm. And so when my heart starts to feel like those lake mead fish, when it feels frenetic, frantic, frenzied, when I feel scarcity, when I feel like I have to hurry up or I'm going to lose my share of the pie, my share of the crumbs, when I feel like I'm doing it to push the other one down, you know, just so that I don't, I don't get pushed down by somebody else. If it's operating out of that, if my heart, you know, we would even do that, you know, just sort of like feel that, Oh, like you can't catch your breath. Like you feel that, that frenetic feeling. And then I knew I was operating out of striving that the things God had for me, they might make me feel like, whoo, you know, I'm letting go of the trapeze bar and I got to trust God's going to catch me. That's a different feeling than this piece of the pie scarcity. Somebody else is going to get it. And so um, there's a word in science called frequency. That is the definition of what molecules have to do to hold themselves together. This left, right vibration, exerting all of this incredible amounts of energy just to stay in one place, just to hold it all together. And so if I'm ever doing that, if I'm exerting all of this energy just to stay in one place, frantic, frenetic, frenzied, then I know I'm probably not on the right track. Mm, That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. I love that it comes down to paying attention to your body and that feeling. Um, I'm currently doing somatic therapy on Tuesday mornings, and that is really teaching me to be in tune with my body and what it's saying to me um, and to not like disregard those signals. And so I love that, yeah, we take like Jesus and the Holy Spirit and like all of that, mix it with therapy. And what do you get? Like you get growth um, and you get awareness that can lead to healing. And I love that. Um, I want to bring up that you talk about how everyone's, you know, so busy these days wanting to be seen that we don't always see anyone else because we're clamoring for all the attention to be seen. This is why I know I've had such a hard time. I'd love to hear if you've had a hard time with social media or maybe you've found a way out of this. But man, sometimes I have such a hard time because I'm like, I know that my motivation isn't just to be seen, 
But especially as an author with a book release, we have to, you know, produce the content, build an audience, like keep people engaged. And it can feel like this rat race and it can feel like, uh, yeah, for lack of better words, like I'm banging on the table, like, come look at this. Come look at this. Oh, really quick before that shiny thing comes through, you know, the next person's post. I don't know. Like, again, I'll, I'm bringing up my own real life, more um, real time example, but I'm sure people have their own. I want to talk about that for a minute. Like, how have you been able to go from from that where you're trying to be seen, even with not necessarily bad intentions, to to being able to kind of step back from that and really see others? Yeah, if you want to speak to that a little bit, I think it'd be really helpful and, and something that could give us some tangible thing to walk away with. Yes, a hundred percent. I have a hundred percent felt that. So, I mean, I think something that's interesting to kind of even also bring into the picture is like I just mentioned, my husband and I had this photography business for 15 years. And so we have already experienced starting out as brand new little newbies in an industry and then climbing the mountain to be all the way at the pinnacle, to be the highest of the high we ever hope to be. When I signed my book deal, we were at the highest goals we had set for ourselves in photography. And so I had gone from a place of being a nobody in that industry to there wasn't anybody I couldn't call in that industry that we weren't friends or we didn't know each other or we couldn't partner together on something. You know, I was seen and known and loved in that industry. And then to immediately start over in another industry and be right back down at the bottom of another mountain and to have to have this like, whoa, I am out of practice having people like look right past me. I am out of practice having people look right through me. I'm having Mm. practice having people arms length me and like act like they're there. That's really cute. And so the thing I think I want everybody to hear right now is that the desire to be deeply known and seen and loved is not wrong. That is wired into who we were created to be as humans because We were created to have this relationship where we were deeply seen, known, and loved by a creator. It's just that we live now in this world where I just try to remind myself that most of us, there's at least a part of us that's still walking around as that little kid version of ourselves. And everybody is trying so hard to be seen. In that particular section, I was talking about a dream that I had about an author I look up to, and I was pushing my way through the crowd to try to get to her to place dirt in her hands because I just knew if I could get her to see it, just get her to read it, just open up the page, these, you know, ticket to belonging and little proper paragraph passage form, then she would be like, oh my gosh, how have I missed this? You have this like tap on the forehead, tap on the photo to like it. Now you belong. Now you've arrived. Now you're one of us. And what I say in that, that passage is, you know, that part of the book is what I've realized is that I've been equating something good in me with something good I've done, something I I could do that would finally be worth being seen or be worthy. And when I was pushing past all these people to try to get to her, was I turning around to see any of them, to tap any of them and say, hey, I see something really beautiful in you. You have a gift. You've been anointed in this area. Go do this thing. No, like we we were all just sort of like trying to push past one another to get to the front. And so In my real life, my coach, Kim, who I mentioned earlier, she has said to me, Mary, in this moment, you are growing deep roots of empathy Mm -hmm. so that if you are ever in that position, you will not treat somebody the way that you have been treated a few times. And, you know, that this idea that we get to become the leaders we want to become both by the 
good examples and the not so good. And so we forget that. Me right now, you right now, Amanda, everybody listening right now, every single one of us has somebody looking at us Mm -hmm. who would give anything for us to turn around and see them. And so every time, here's just a great practice. Every time you feel not seen by social media, by the internet, by a group of people hanging out, whatever the case is, feel it and then turn around and see who you can see. Because you either get to say it carries on down the chain or nope, it ends right here. So that's what I try to do. I I love that. Yes. Yeah. I'm I'm over here just like nodding my head, like, keep going. Yes. Um, no, it's it's so true. I love that you kind of gave that as the antidote, right? Um, because it's 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 ultimately another reminder of yet what this podcast is about. It's about building longer tables. Well, you can't have longer tables. Well, I guess you can have a long table that's empty, right? But you can't have people coming to the seat at your table if you're so uh one track focused on yourself and what you're doing and um Yeah. I even tell people all the time when I'm having like a down day, like just like a really blue gray kind of day and I just feel I I try to go figure out like who can I serve? Who can I love? Because ultimately doing that also elevates, lifts my spirits and, and bring, you know, and so it's just like I love that you you remind us that when we when we aren't seen in the way that we would like to be seen, we can kind of sit and sulk and maybe we need to for a minute. But then ultimately the the kind of way that we move forward and heal and do better is to go make somebody else feel seen and turn around and look for that. So that's that's so beautiful. I kind of want to end our time with, um, we don't have to, it's up to you if you want to get into the five different types of overachievers and how people can know which one they are, or I guess they could read your book to find out. But you also have a quiz. Yes, yeah. You know, one more thing before I forget it, and then yeah. I'll tell you all about that. I feel like I feel like you will really resonate with us. It, it really resonated with me. And I was just actually just telling um, somebody about it this morning. So I saw a post on Facebook. I wish I knew who had written it or I would credit them, but I don't. It said, don't chase people. Put your head down and work on your stuff. You'll meet them later. And I just thought that was so beautiful. And it really does kind of tap into this idea of slow growth equals strong roots because, you know, it's this idea of, rather than expecting somebody who's arrived to give you the anointing to arrive, rather than trying to rush it, you put your head down and you focus on excellence. You build with excellence. And in this really ironic twist of fate way, all of those people you one at a time turned around and saw, they are the ones who will elevate you up as you go to meet those people who didn't have the time of day for you, right? I think about like uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda showing up at the Oscars. The Oscars is all this Hollywood, you know, cutthroats, clicky, inner circle kind of people. And then you just have somebody show up who just like focused on excellence, Mm. right? And so I just think there's something beautiful about that message. The slow growth equals strong roots message is this idea that good things take time. Real things take time. You are not in a race with anyone. And the character that is being forged in us when it's taking longer than we want, that's going to be what carries us in those times when it's not slow. In times when yep. things do start happening quickly, it is not always going to be slow, but what's being forged in us is necessary for the next level. So the five versions of the woman always performing, um, something that's really important to know is that Justin and I are photographers. We had taken these editorial pictures six years before I was writing this book and they are all of our friend Katie and all these different looks. She's a ballerina. She's a masked woman. She's a tightrope walker. She's all these different looks. And we came home from these trips 
one in New Haven, one in Venice, Italy, edited like three images and put them on a hard drive and did nothing else with them. Like didn't forget about them. We knew they were there obviously, but like didn't use them anywhere. And then I started writing this book and I'm trying to put words to what it feels like for me to be the woman always performing. And I say, listen, I've always wanted to be the unsinkable Molly Brown, this rock solid person who just, whether it's good or it's bad, I am unwavering, right? Like whatever happens, I'm Mm. fine. But I've instead always been more like this tightrope walker. She's up and she's down these billowing currents of hot air turned icy chill in the fickle fog of their absence of highlight reels, leaving tiny thunderstorms of destruction in her wake. I've always been defined as good or bad by the latest good thing that's happened to me. And I was like, wait a minute, tightrope walker that lines up with those photos. Hey, over here, I'm talking about being the masquerader, hiding in plain sight to avoid failure, the fear of failure here. I'm talking about being on your toes and performing because you need other people to see how wrong they were about you. The, the, contortionist who twists herself in tiny tethered knots trying to people please or the illusionist in the distance who doesn't think she can even start until everything is perfect this perfect version of her she's always chasing and so I go through these different characters in the book the photos God totally brought them back around to me and I it just all made sense like he was writing this book six years before I ever typed a word these photos become the pages and we've actually now put together a quiz where if you're listening you can go to achieverquiz.com or marymorans.com slash quiz if that's easier to remember takes like two three minutes to fill it out and it will tell you which of the five types you are the strengths of that type where you get tripped up as that type and how you move forward to purpose. I love it. I love a good quiz. Thanks. Thanks for creating that. Thanks for writing this book. Thanks for all that you're doing. Um, And also, it's a sweet thing to know like, oh, she's not doing it. Like to know why you're doing it, right? You're doing it because you have found grace and freedom and purpose outside of the doing. And you're still going to show up and use your gifts and serve the world the best that you can. Um. I love that. That's so good. So for everyone listening, this book is coming out the very beginning of May. So is it May 5th, 4th? Third. Third, sorry. (laughs) May 3rd. Um, And if you long for more grace, more freedom, more purpose in an overachieving world, um, slow growth equals strong roots is for you. Mary's not only an incredible writer, but there's amazing photography in the book as well. Um, If you follow her on social media like I do, uh, also, Mary, yeah, your reels are on point. Like, I know that a lot of people go to social media to be entertained or to numb out, to check out, but it's really great when you can find, for me at least, I like to go and and to still, if I'm going to be on that app, to be kind of like reminded of a truth or filled with something that's really meaningful that actually adds value to my life. So it's less wasted time and more like this, it it leaves, your posts often leave me the same feeling that I get when I get done reading a chapter of a, of a book. So all of that to say, yeah, I mean it. So yeah, I will link um, all your stuff in our show notes so people can check you out, but thanks for pulling up a seat at our table and really walking us through, um, how we can do this for ourselves and, and normalizing this experience. We don't have to feel like we're crazy and alone in it. Um, and ultimately teaching us how to see other people and how to um, do better. Um, and I just so appreciate it. So thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This was amazing. Amazing.